Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Vine Community Church. Very happy to have each and every one of you here with us today, and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get started with worship. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything that you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you'll continue to do. I always ask that you come be with us today as we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. If our God is for us, then who could ever 
never stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against
Take a second, turn around, say hello to somebody.
My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. 2023 Women's Retreat is coming up this September. Payment plans are available, and registration is fast and easy, so get signed up. See Cindy or Shonda at the information table for details. Our next baptism is Sunday, July 30th at Carmody Park. Come celebrate with those getting baptized in the creek at 2 p.m. See you there. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning. That was Allie. Allie was driving back from Topsail Island and uh, some of my relatives are, not some of them, all of them are nuts. Um, so the kids like to, they call it the night train. So they like to leave and drive in the middle of the night. Does anybody like to do that? You guys are all nuts. Okay. So they left and they took off and all of a sudden, they got hit by a flash flood. You have to do back roads until you get to Interstate 40. So they got hit. So this is this is what happened to them. Now, well, but God's cool. He orders your steps. They there were some guys in this house, whatever, having a party. I don't know how many, maybe four of them. They're mechanics. Young guys are mechanics. So they they called a tow truck, but these guys got them out. They changed their tire. They did, checked all the electrical stuff, whatever, and, and, sent, and sent them back. But anyway, I thought, well, that's a good place to be washed away to, right? So anyway, so they're, they're still on their way home. But anyway, the, their car, her car is okay. Isn't that neat? So th- thank you, Lord. So and the night train, I quit doing that a long time ago. When Liz and I were first married, we would drive on vacation. My niece Amy was a baby. And, and so there's a bunch of us in the car. And we would sing every song this it sounds like a, it's a Willie Nelson song, but, you know, that's the thing I knew, right? So then at 4 o'clock in the morning, they would give me the wheel. And so then, they're, then they're, they all go to sleep and quit singing. So we're driving through the mountains before the interstate, and Liz's dad's laying in the back with his head, on the, and, and he raises up. He goes, if you want me to drive, Chuck, I'll drive. Boom, and his head falls back down. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to kill myself. I'm not going to let you guys, you know, and all that. So but we don't do night trains anymore. So um, anyway... If you've not been baptized, if you've invited Jesus in your life, you need to get baptized. And so the last Sunday of the month, uh, the creeks are filling up, so we baptize in the creek. And so baptism is your confession of faith saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. So if there's little things on the back of your seats. If you want to do that, let me know. Today after the service, the women's minister are having a bake sale in there. So they're raising money for the women's retreat. And so go in there and get stuff and help them out. Okay? Pray for my mother. My mom uh, is 95 years old. She had she broke her hip in May and had hip surgery. She broke her hip two weeks ago and, and had hip surgery, and she's not recovering, and so she's in hospice now. So pray for her. Um, anyway, she's good. She's got her ticket, and she's ready, you know, so I'm no, I'm messing up. Um, anyway, so just keep her in your prayers and, and, uh, and us too. So she's been around a long time, cool Christian.
So um, let's say a prayer. We'll take up the offering. So, Lord, uh, use these gifts to glorify your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How we doing? That's good? If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's where we're going to be at. And um, we're in like the sixth or seventh week of a series on love. And so, you guys doing all right? Yeah? Fourth of July week. We're halfway through the summer. Kind of sad about it, honestly. But... It is what it is. So I always like to start off by just taking a few moments just to simply be still, to be quiet, and to kind of open our hearts to God. And so we'll take a few moments and do, and do that. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you just meet us here in this moment. you for this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and open our hearts to you.
and to everything that we explore in this passage. Father, we carry a lot of weight into this room, anxieties, worries, fear, heartbreak. And so we just lay it before you. We ask that you just help us carry those things. So we ask that you just be with us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. I'll just read, I'll, I'll recite 1, 2, and 3, 4. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So I wasn't an English major. I can barely read be honest with you, but I find something interesting in this passage here. You have two sort of sentences. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So does, are those verbs or does, or or is a does a verb? Anybody know? Maybe. I guess you guys aren't English majors either. To me, does is a doing word. It's something that you do, right? So you, you envy or you, you boast. But when it comes to love is not proud, is, is a, is a being type of thing, right? It's who you are. Something about your essence. And so what I find interesting about this passage is that apparently envy and boasting in some sense, you could say they grow out of pride. Does that make sense? And so to me, it's not three separate things. It's two kind of um, <clears throat> ways of expression. Envy and boasting are sort of expressions, if you will, of pride. And so we're going to talk about envy and boasting and pride and how it relates to love. Good? You guys all right? Okay. Some thoughts about envy. There's a story in the Bible at the very beginning about two brothers named Cain and Abel. You guys remember this bedtime story? Right? If you grew up with pastor's kids, this is your bedtime stories. The story goes is that one day Cain decides that he's going to take an offering and, 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 and make an offering to God. Cain is a farmer. He grows crops and fruits and those types of things. And his little brother Abel, he's a shepherd. Or herdsman, he has animals, he takes care of animals. And so the story goes is that one day Cain decides that he's going to bring some of the fruit that he has and offer it to God. Now what's interesting about this story is that it doesn't say that God told him to do this. Just one day he decides, hey, you know what, maybe we should tell God that we're thankful for the things that he does. Does that make sense so far? And so Cain brings this offering to God, and Abel watches, and you know how little brothers are. They just kind of copy whatever their older brother does. And so he thinks to himself, hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to bring some of my stuff too. And so he brings some fat portions from some of his his flock, and they offer it to God as a sacrifice, a practice that the ancient world did for, for thousands of years. Notice what it says is in the story here. It said, in course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, what's it say? He did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face 
was downcast. Now, here's the thing. We could get into like the, the muddy water of why would God choose Abel's offering over Cain's? Is it because he gave the fat portions of the first and, and Cain only gave some of the fruit? Like, I've heard lots of preachers and people talk about why and all these types of things. The reality is, we don't know. Right? We don't know why God chose Abel's offering or received Abel's offering and didn't receive Cain's offering. Now, here's, I got a, an idea. And here's my idea. I don't think that God looks at the things that we give him. Does that make sense? I don't think that's what he's looking at when we give God something. I think he's looking at how we give something. Does this make sense? So it's not how much we give. It's the posture of our heart. How we give. And so I would imagine if I had to guess, if I had to make a bet, I would be willing to bet that the reason why God receives Abel's offering and not Cain has nothing to do with the offerings, but it has to do with the heart that gives the offering. Does this make sense? Yeah. And so the story continues. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, the way this story ends is a complete tragedy. We're told that Cain invites his brother out into the field, probably, hey, let's go have a picnic, let's go hang out, let's go shoot guns. I don't know what they're doing. But he says, hey, bro, let's go hang out for a little while. And they go out and Cain kills his brother. Why? My guess is because he's jealous. Yeah? He sees, he experiences his relationship with God and his relationship with the world. And then he looks at his brother and he observes his brother's relationship with God and his relationship with the world And he's not satisfied with what he has. He's envious of his brother. And so what does he choose to do? He chooses to kill him. Yeah? This morning I'm getting ready for for church and I'm on Instagram. You guys do Instagram? No, whatever. Social media. I'm on social media. And... uh, Scrolling through, and I come across this couple that I know that I'm friends with, and I don't know what they do, but my observation is, is they just go on vacation all the time. I have no idea how they afford it. I have no idea when they work. I don't, and they're not older, they're young, so like, they got kids and stuff, like, so, like, how, and I think to myself, how in the world do you guys do that, right? Now, I didn't invite them out into a field and kill them because I'm envious. But I'd like to. But seriously, though, isn't that the game that we sometimes find ourselves trapped in? 
we have our own lives, our own relationship with God, our, our families, our, the people that we love, our life, our circle, and yet we get caught up in what? In comparing ourselves to other people in their lives. And what happens? Envy begins to grow in our heart. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. And what happens when we compare is that we put them up on a pedestal while our own self-worth and value shrinks. Does this make sense? Perhaps you could say it like this. To envy is to diminish one's own worth or importance by excessively desiring another's achievements, possessions, or abilities. Why does Cain kill his brother? Because he's envious of what Cain, of what Abel has and not satisfied with what he has. Does it make sense? You guys good? Got your thinking caps on this morning, looks like. And so envy can get in the way. It can weigh us down. It weighs, it, 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 it blocks us from authentic relationships. So that's a story on envy. Now a story on arrogance or boasting. Another bedtime story. In the book of Daniel, there's a story about a, a king named uh, Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, side note, I've, I, I haven't personally, but I have friends who sat supposedly on King Nebuchadnezzar's throne in Iraq, because that's where Babylon was at. So, side note. Was it really his? I have no idea. But it was cool, cool at the time. King Nebuchadnezzar is the, is the emperor of Babylon, and they have conquered Israel, and he is captured or enslaved all the young, brilliant minds of Israel. So you guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the story of Daniel, all those, all those bedtime stories. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was really into himself. At one point, he decides he was going to build a statue of himself, and he puts it in the middle of the town, and he tells everybody that, hey, when the trumpets blow, I want you to come to the statue, and I want you to bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, nah, we're not going to do that. And so you remember the story. He grabs them and he throws them in a fiery furnace. Great bedtime story to tell your children, by the way. They're not going to have bad dreams from that, I promise. And, of course, the angel of the Lord appears in the fiery furnace and he protects these young men. And for a little bit of time... Nebuchadnezzar turns his heart and starts worshiping the God of Israel. But as pride works in your life, it takes over. And uh, once again, he's super proud of himself. He tells everybody to stop worshiping all these other gods because he's the one true God and they need to worship him and all these kinds of things. He tells Daniel he's not allowed to pray, and Daniel prays and gets thrown into a lion's den. And you guys remember that one, too. That's a fun bedtime story. By the way, some of the st- <laughs> I think about kids' ministry in the Bible and the stories we tell, and I'm like, gosh, no wonder we're all crazy. <clears throat> but once again, pride takes over his life. He's super proud of all the things that he's done. 
And he starts having this dream, and it's starting to haunt him. And in the dream, there's this gigantic tree, but then this thing comes and chops down the tree. And for seven years, this tree is just a stump. And he's really bothered by this dream. And so he brings in all of his his holy men and, and, and magicians to interpret this dream for him, and nobody could interpret it. And finally, he remembers that Daniel can interpret dreams. And so he brings Daniel in to interpret the dream, and he tells him this dream. And Daniel's like, here's the thing, dude. And... And and at the time, Nebuchadnezzar thinks the story's about his enemies. He's like, this has got to be about my enemies. The gods are going to conquer all my enemies, and they're going to be a dead stump, and this is going to be awesome. And so he tells Daniel this dream, and Daniel's like, uh, sorry, dude, but here's the thing. You're the tree. God's going to humble you. And he's like, I don't know if that's true or not. And he says, yeah, God's going to humble you, and in fact, you're, you're going to lose your mind, and it's going to be wild. And Nebuchadnezzar kind of blows it off. Picking up in Daniel uh, 4.29, it says this. It says, 12 months later, so 12 months after Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar this is going to happen to him, it says that 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this... Is not this the great Babylon that I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And so he doesn't get the lesson, does he? In fact, in some ways, he, he doubles down on the arrogance and the pride and the boasting and he's like you can just picture it, he's just on his rooftop looking at his kingdom, proud of himself for all the things that he's accomplished by his own mighty hand. And then the story continues and it says this, that even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High Sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And so, in this pride, in this hubris, he, he in some sense, he isolates himself from regular people. And in the midst of it, loses it all. Yeah? Loses his mind. Now you're like, why, why would God do this? Now, there's kind of two ways to read this, at least my opinion. Two ways to interpret these ancient, these scriptures. Because it looks like God just strikes him down and he loses his mind and, and goes out, right? That's one way you could think that it happens. But another way you could think of it happens is it's just simply a result of this behavior. Right? Think about people that are very prideful, boisterous. They got all the answers. They're the great ones. And it somehow drives them to madness. Ever ever seen this happen? Like Kanye West, by the way? Right? Makes sense? And, and so, envy is one way to isolate yourself. Cain isolates himself from his brother because he feels the woe is me type of behavior. But pride and arrogance and boasting can also isolate you from other people. 
And so perhaps you could say it like this. If envy is to diminish one's own worth and importance, boasting is to exaggerate one's own worth or importance by excessively displaying their achievements, possessions, or abilities. Yeah? And so perhaps you could say it like this. Here's the problem with envy and boasting, is that both are self-focused. Both are looking at themselves. Both are the fruit of pride. Now, this raises the question, what in the world does this have to do with love? What does envy and boasting and pride have to do with love? And I would simply answer that question by saying this. It's impossible to love others when I'm not secure in who I am or satisfied with what I have. Because boasting and envy both struggle with knowing who they are. If you envy and it's woe is me, you struggle with knowing with who you are, and you can't find your own self-worth because you believe your self-worth comes from the things that you get or do or achieve. But at the same time, boasting, what are you doing? Well, you're blowing yourself up. You're trying to make you look better than you are. Why? Because you're insecure with who you are. Right? And so it's impossible to have authentic love and relationships with other people when, one, I'm envious of them, or, two, I pretend to be better than them because I'm insecure with who I am. Does this make sense? Yeah? And so perhaps you could say it like this. If I'm going to learn to love well, then I'm going to have to deal with the pride in my life. Because it's the pride in my life that leads to envy. Me being envious or jealous of other people. It's the pride in my life that can sometimes lead me to boasting and exaggerating and making myself look better than I am. And whenever I fall into either one of those two categories because of pride, it's impossible for me to truly, authentically love other people. Good? You guys got your thinking caps on. And so, a couple things about pride. First, I would say this. There's two sides to pride. Right? If we're going to deal with pride in our lives, we first have to understand that there's two sides to pride. There's good pride and there's bad pride. Example of good pride. There's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself and having self-worth and dignity because you've done something good or some, you've worked hard on something or whatever. I'll give you an example. My car has been giving me problems for a week and a half. So I got one of those computer things. You guys know these like computer things and you plug them into your car and it tells you codes. So I got one of these computer things and I plug it in my car and it gave me a bunch of codes. And I got on my computer and I was like, looked up what these codes meant and I figured out what the codes meant. And so I went and got auto parts, right? Went and got some auto parts, came home, took my car apart, replaced these parts, put it all back together, 
started the car, boom, it worked perfectly fine, right? Yeah. Now, I could, like Nebuchadnezzar, build a big statue in front of my house and be like, hey, I'm the, probably the best mechanic in town. Come bow down, right? But here's the thing. This morning, I get up, take my shower, walk out to my car, go to start my car, back to square one, right? So yesterday, I was super proud of myself because I did something that I am not very good at doing. And so I was super, you know, and it's okay. You graduate college, you get married, you have kids, you do this, you do that. It's perfectly fine to be proud of the things that you do, right? Whatever that may be. But it has to have a balance. We can be proud of ourselves for the things that we do, but let's not go on and build a statue of ourselves because of these things, right? Does that make sense? So there's good pride, and there's nothing wrong with good pride. But there's also bad pride. There's conceit. There's arrogance. And you probably, you've probably met those types of people. They're just always, like, giving you their, their resume. They're always telling you about all the things that they've done or they've achieved. And it's kind of like, it's isolating. It's like, God, come on, leave me alone. Get away. Like, I'm a, I can like you just for being you. You don't have to tell me all this stuff every time. And so if we're going to deal with the pride in our lives, it begins by understanding there's good pride and there's a bad pride, and which raises this question. Well, how do we deal with the bad pride in our life that leads to envy and boasting? Two quick thoughts. Number one, the first way that we deal with the bad pride in our lives is learning how to cultivate gratitude and contentment. Being thankful for and content with what we have. Right? Several years ago, we started a partnership with churches in Ethiopia. And at the time, me and, uh, me and Amber and, and Evan had moved into this house across the river in Hollywood. If you're, in Frank, if you're from Franklin, you know how that is. And, uh, and it was just a little two-bedroom house. You know, I had a front room and a kitchen and two bedrooms and a bathroom and had no insulation so the pipes would freeze every winter and bust and, and those types of things. And it was right next to this little train track. And Evan was little and he was into Tom, Thomas the Tank Engine at the time. And uh, so he called it our little Thomas house. And he loved our Thomas house, and it was and it was a very nice house. But you know how you are when you're in your early 20s, right? You're ambitious. You want to get that big house. And so even though it was, it was perfect for us at the time, in my head, we weren't good enough because we lived in this little two-bedroom house in Hollywood. And so I was always kind of embarrassed. Can you, I feel like I'm doing something like echoing up here. And so I was embarrassed of this house. And we, at the same time, we started this ministry in Ethiopia. And so we went to Ethiopia. And me and dad and John and a guy named Tim used to come here. And the first day that we were there, we went to this little I don't even know what you would call it. It was connected to this, the major part of the city. It was like this little ghetto area type of place. 
And uh, when I tell you they had nothing, I mean it. They had nothing. And we met up with some of the young people that were part of this church, and this young young man named Samuel, uh, he took a liking to me for whatever reason. He wanted to show me his house, so he took me to show me his house. And I kid you not, it it was a piece of plywood, a piece of plywood, a piece of plywood, a piece of plywood, and a tarp thrown over top of it. This was his house. And not only that, but there was also a ditch that ran right through the dirt floor because it was kind of on this hill. And all of the sewage and drainage from the city streets ran right through this ditch, right in the middle of his house. And I remember coming home and thinking to myself, we're like kings We live like kings compared to these people that lived in Ethiopia. What was happening? In this world that you and I, we live in, our identity is so tied to what we do and what we have. The one thing that I noticed about Ethiopia that I, that, like, you guys kind of, you probably can feel it, right? 50% of the people that you run into, are, don't they feel like they're miserable? Yeah? Like if you're at Walmart or you're somewhere, doesn't it feel like most of the people that you run into, they're miserable? You know what I didn't notice in Ethiopia? That they, they, weren't, they weren't miserable. They were very joyous. They were very happy. They were very loving and giving as a group of people. And I wonder why, and I thought, I've thought about it a lot. Here's, here's my guess. In our culture, here in America, our identity and self-worth is directly connected to the things that we have and the things that we do and the things that we accomplish. Everything is dependent on that. But in Ethiopia, Their self-worth and their identity is not connected to what they can do, what they can have, what they can get. Because there's nothing to do and there's nothing to get. And so their self-worth and their identity doesn't come from the things that they do or can accumulate. It comes from the people in their lives and their relationship with God. Does that make sense? And so I had this, like, wake-up moment of, oh, my goodness. We are beyond blessed in this little two-bedroom house here in Hollywood. This would be a mansion in Ethiopia. And, And so learning how to cultivate gratitude and contentment are terribly important. So that we don't fall into the trap of being jealous or envious of other people. Also so that we don't fall into the trap of believing the lie that our self-worth and identity comes from the things that we can get. Versus 
the relationships that we cultivate here in a community and with our relationship with God. And why do I add that part about community? Because, in my opinion, the only way we can love God is by loving and serving one another. So it's tied. Good? So that's one thing to deal with envy. Next thought. We have to learn how to celebrate and encourage one another. And so instead of being envious of other people because they have more than we do, or instead of boasting about all the things that we have and how awesome we are and all the things that we've accomplished, instead of doing those types of things, we learn how to celebrate one another and encourage one another. Because, why? Because, what, like I said before, it's all envy and pride and boasting is all self-focused. The finger is pointed where? It's pointed, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Where when we learn to celebrate, encourage other people, it's not about us, but it's about the other people in our lives. Does that make sense? And so, the next time you're on Instagram and you notice that family who seems to live on vacation, not that you guys could do this, but instead of wanting to invite them out into a field and killing them, what if it? What would it look like if I was like, you know what, good for them. Good for them. I'm so happy they, they get to do that, right? And I'm happy about what I have. And it's not the same, but that's okay because we're not the same. And I'm not going to allow that to block me from loving them. And I'm not going to allow that from to block me from loving myself. Because I know that at the end of the day, it's not what I get and what I do. It's about the people that I'm around, the people who love me and accept me exactly how I am. And it's about being in relationship with a God who loves me and accepts me exactly how I am. Good? Now, why is this important? Well, here's why. Because God has called us to love. And love is patient, and it's kind, and it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast, and it is not proud. Good? You guys done? Me too. Um, What are we doing? Let's pray. So two thoughts, or two questions. What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do? about it. So let's take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it and take it out. Every week we take part in this Eucharist, Communion, Lord's Supper. As a reminder that we are all welcome at Jesus' table. And every week we pray uh, this prayer as a way of centering our hearts and our minds. And so, if you would, pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And that we're reminded that as the body of Christ, we are called every day to do the same. To be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread, look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ was broken for you. And now the cup, the blood of Christ is shed for you. All right. Amen. So I'll stand, grab hands with the person next to you if you like. There's still there's a, still a bake sale going on. So make sure you get in there and get your treats. And, and men's breakfast next Saturday at 8 at Frisch's. So, yep, good. All right, let's pray. So Father, we just thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for the way that you love us and how you called us to love. And so may we, may our eyes be open to the way that pride can creep in. May our eyes be open to the way that we can become envious or, or arrogant. And so we ask that you just give us the, the grace to deal with those things in our lives. Give us the grace to weed that stuff out so that we can truly love the people around us. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you just be with us this week, that you guide us and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.